The Lurie Awards bringing together creatives from across the continent to celebrate the best in advertising. I'm really proud of the kind of work we've seen in 2019 bookmarks. This is about recognizing digital work. Award goes to the IAB Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. And the winner is... How to Win. Now, I think it was an incredibly thorough process. That's the way it feels. A podcast hosted by Nick Hammond and Johan Schweller. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Nick Hammond. I've got a background in broadcast media. I'm here to mediate today's conversation. And I'm joined by Johan Schweller, an industry expert and creative director at TBWA. Before we get into anything, a huge thank you to Mark One for coming on board and sponsoring today's podcast. Mark One is many things, an award-winning full-suite digital marketing business, a cutting-edge content producer, a data-driven programmatic buyer, an innovative strategic partner, a technology consultancy. But before they are any of these things, they are people. People who've made it their mission to understand their clients and their business. People who constantly learn, train, and retrain to make sure they are the leading edge. People who time and time again have shown that they can not only meet their clients' objectives, but surpass them. Check them out at mark1.co.za. All right, let's get to the podcast. The IAB Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. How to win. Welcome to today's podcast. In the episode today, we're here to talk about what awards mean to clients. And we've got two amazing guests joining myself and Johan. One is a former boss of mine, Justine Cullinan. She's currently the head of marketing at Mezzanine. And Kenzie Nobanda, the group executive for marketing and corporate affairs at Nedbank. All right, welcome back to the Work That Wins podcast. It's a series hosted by myself, Nick Hammond, and Johan Schweller, creative director at TBWA. We're here to talk today about what awards means to clients. We've got two fantastic, phenomenal women with us, Kinsani Nabanda and Justine Cullinan. Ladies, thank you both so much for doing this. And we had kind of thought, myself and Johan, um, as a way of getting into just becoming familiar with each other, uh, let's talk a little bit about our own careers uh, maybe, Karen, see if we start with you. Some of the highlights and some of the things that have mattered most to you and things that you've been most proud of when it comes to awards, but, you know, the broader question of what you do as well. Yeah. So I've worked, I think maybe what I'm proud of is I've worked across many industries. I've worked from margarine to alcohol to banking now. So, you know, I feel like I've sold everything. I've worked across a number of markets. Probably my favorite job was when I looked after Africa, Middle East and Turkey, for Unilever, the skin portfolio, which was a lot of brands. And I mean, there's a lot of things I can say I'm proud of. I mean, one of them, you know, you talk about awards. One of them was when we won the best launch of any brand in the Middle East, when we launched Pons, we, we gained 10% market share. And we got a lot of awards for both just the achievement from a marketing perspective, but also from a creative perspective. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of work that I could say just in that sphere that I've been proud of, but that probably is one of my highlights. I mean, Justine, aside from working with me, what would some of the highlights of your career? Like many marketers, I started in an agency and I'm very proud of that fact. It taught me a lot. I think it equips you very well um, to work on that side of the table. Um, seven and a half years of my career are 5FM years. And that's just a privilege. You know, every single day you come to work and you think, I'm shaping the reality that people live their lives inside. If I shake the chain in 10 minutes, millions of people will feel it. And that's that's a real privilege to work in that media environment. I've worked in fashion. I've worked for the, the organization that we have to thank for the science of marketing, which is Coca-Cola. I think that's Unilever, but you know. Mm. That's <laughs> 178 years later, yeah. <laughs> 
And yeah, I guess I'm proud of a lot of things. I think one of the highlights of my career was definitely winning the Owl Boss of the Year Award. And the reason that that particularly was a highlight for me is because you have to be nominated. And I somehow was nominated by a DJ, which is a remarkable achievement because (laughs) it wasn't you. Yes, it wasn't you. Just so we all know. It definitely wasn't Nick Hammond, everyone. Um, But yeah, to get a DJ to do something outside of something that benefits them directly is quite quite remarkable. So that's, that's why I mentioned it as an achievement. So I think just to get straight into the main subject line, I think the the broader question is that I want to pose to you guys is, is our awards important? I mean, if you look at 5FM, they've done some phenomenal creative work. So you've got Lonely Finger if you really want to go back in the annuals. I don't know if that was in your time specifically or not. Uh, more recently, I, I was trying to look at your LinkedIn and kind of cross-reference the campaign periods in my head, but Lonely Finger and Youngblood 5 was the other one that I, that I distinctly remember. And, and from your side, Kenzie, the, the kind of Kiona stuff that was more recent that I thought was, I personally thought was phenomenal work. Do these things matter? You know, we all in the agency side kind of, you know, raise our glasses and go hurrah. But, mm-hmm. but from a client's perspective, is that is that important? I think so. So whilst obviously as a marketeer, I need marketing that's effective. I also need it to be interesting. And I think it's because if you look at, I can't remember what the stat is, but if you look at the amount of work that's actually been ignored on TV, if you're not creative enough, if you're not interesting enough, actually you're just wasting your your business's money. So for me, obviously um, awards are an indication of how creative and interesting that work is. So they absolutely matter. And in fact, we, we can get quite competitive as marketeers in terms of, you know, the sort of awards we're getting and all of that. For me, I think where they become problematic is if they matter more than the success of the business, which I think we see with a lot of agencies who are more worried about, you know, getting the can award or all of that. But, you know, my business is not doing well, guys. Can we have that conversation, you know? That for me is problematic. Or when agencies create something, you know, to fly it on 5FM at 2 in the morning, just so you can put it in an awards show, that's problematic for me. Because actually, I, I think another stat that I know of is that creative work drives business growth. And obviously, creative work gets awarded. So absolutely, agencies should be challenging and pushing and driving creative work to win awards. But we also know creative work matters in the success of a business. So for me, they do. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very much in agreement with Kinsani. I think that brave creative work is the lifeblood of fantastic marketing. Um, awards don't matter all that much. So... They're nice from a morale boost perspective and from a team combination perspective because there's always going to be friction between agencies and clients. And I think that can be very positive and it can push for brave work. And sometimes awards bring those two parties together. But the client doesn't care about the award. The client thinks that's a nice to have. The client has objectives and they have internal pressure and you can have the most awarded work in the world. If it's not achieving your business objectives, then it's not considered good work. I mean, the, the business objectives thing for me is, is always an interesting conundrum. So I've worked on you know multiple industries alcohol, skincare. Uh, I've done the same just for probably Johnson & Johnson rather than <laughs> Unilever. But a fundamental problem that I believe agencies have is that we don't have enough direct access into the data. So when we work on creative campaigns, we would never present something that we don't necessarily think is effective. There's no incentive for us to do so because if we do ineffective work over a period of time, you're going to fire us. Mm. You know what I mean? We're going to be out but the I door. But I think that defining mm. the 
what is effective is sometimes the problem and that that can be where you hit loggerheads so um you know the art of writing a great brief i think is something that's very undervalued and it's actually quite hard work and in a lot of companies that sits with a much more junior person than you might work with mm. and your brief really needs to explain what the business's intention needs to be and how you're going to achieve that and how I as the client will mark my success of this campaign and if I'm not effectively communicating that to my agency then it's my fault then I'm not a good client I haven't articulated my objectives and set out what I determine will be success with this campaign up front and I would push back to agencies because how the hell are you going to get a brief from a client and not be clear what it's trying to drive? I mean, in my head, they, I always have this balance between the brand and the business, right? And as a bank, you know, it's quite symbiotic. It's not as clear as like Joko Tea, like that's the brand. It's actually the box. For us, it's a bit more complicated. We've got massive matrix structures. But when I see a brief from anyone in my team, I need to understand if it's, you know, building a particular brand objective, because that's important. Sometimes it's not only you want to sell bank accounts or some particular business objective or a combination. Now, if you as an agency are getting a brief that is not articulating that, well, you should <laughs> go back to the client and say, no, we're not taking this this brief. Because the only way that client can also get better in this journey is if you come to the party. And again, also in organizations such as ours, NetBank, where, I mean, we've got a, like two, about 200 marketing people. There's briefs that go out that a lot of senior people don't get to see. And if you as an agency are not being quality control on the other side, then you can't complain. You know what I mean? Like, so for me, in fact, I'd be, if, if any agency that works on our business tells me that, they don't know how we're doing. They don't know what we're trying to do. I will be effed off at a level that you cannot even understand because I do think they should also take some level of responsibility. Yes, absolutely, client, we should. Um, but they should also take responsibility of pushing us to say, I want to understand, you know, are we are we winning in the market? What is going on? They should take that responsibility as well. Is It, it, it may be worth going a bit deeper into this as well and trying to look at what are the kind of things from your two women's perspective that you think that you guys are looking for when agencies are pitching to you? I mean, what would be helpful for agencies to know and what are they getting right? What are they getting wrong? So, I, I, I mean, I'm going to answer just a specific thing that happened last year, which I loved. We had, um, we, we pitched quite a bit of the NetBank business across many functional areas and one of the agencies bought shares, NetBank shares, and stood up in front of us and said, we don't care what happens, we've bought NetBank shares. I just, I mean, they didn't get the business, but... <laughs> I must say, you know, at that moment, I was like, bloody hell, this is like, you know, someone who feels like they're going to be a, a partner in our journey, right? So, but I mean, that's just as an aside. I think overall, I'm always clearly like, and because we've just gone through like a pitch a couple of months ago, for us, it was four things. One was definitely, and it was a big part of the 100% was creative. Like, for me, one of the questions I got asked at the Luris is, do you... Do you still want agencies or can you bring this thing internally, for example? Would you have internal agencies? The problem with us internally in companies is we're not creative enough. We cannot come up with the big you know, brand ideas that can really fundamentally make an impact. So I would never want a full on. I mean, we'll have some things internally, but I would still want, you know, an external agency. So going through, so I definitely want to see creativeness. The second thing that I want to see is, and this is particular to Nate Bank, is we want to work with agencies 
who are keen on the success of South Africa. So we we actually, so not just from a transformation perspective, which is important, but also from what we call the environment perspective. How interested are you in the success of this country and what do you do in that context? And then we'll get to, we also then look at the billing piece of it, right? But it's not, and, and even again on the billing piece, I'm not seeing agencies walk in and tell me that, my success in terms of my money is going to be linked to your success in terms of your business. I'm not seeing any of them do that. Um, just to say, you know, for example, X percent of our retainer is going to be bonus based. And then I'm not seeing that. So that so it feels like a lot of the time the creative piece, which is the biggest part of it, is the number one. And these are the awards we've won. These are the great. And I love that. But actually, for me, there's a bigger spectrum of what I want to see. Um, coming from it. We then have like a conversation around chemistry. Did we like them? <laughs> but yeah. Do you feel similarly as well? I mean, you know, Justine, also I think it's, you, you've worked at an SOE as well, somewhere like the SABC, where I think there are a lot of very particular constraints when it comes to these kind of things, but also having done Coca-Cola and Converse and et cetera, what's your take on that? So I do think that um, you know, I think we've, we're all in agreement in in the booth, I should say, not the room, <laughs> in the booth. We're all in, gre- in agreement that brave creative work is, is the ultimate defining factor. Um, but I do think that that the understanding of the data, and that might be slightly regarding its access, which, which you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, Johan, that it might be related to that. But normally what I don't see in a pitch which I'm always looking for, is a thorough and deep set understanding of the industry, its competitors, and its its macroeconomic factors that determine what its business challenge is. And I'm always incredibly bowled over when an agency has got a profound insight into my business, having just obtained information from the outside. You know, if you're in a pitch process, all you get is the brief. You know, you don't you don't really get any other information from the client. Um, so if someone has sat and deeply dealt with data that I believe is reliable, valid information and has presented an insight that has made me go, actually, I never thought of it that way. And I feel like I've learned something in the pitch. Then I think that like we're golden. We're away with the fairies in delight because it's so exciting. I just want to add to that because even when you're now an agency working with client, one of my gripes um, is, you know, our media results will come out and it'll show NetBank's performance. I've never had any agency call me and say, we've just looked at your results. We see this and this happening. So forget this is public data. And this is like ultimately how NetBank performs impacts my marketing budget yeah. impacts your budget so you know you should be very interested in how netbank yeah, is performing such a point. <laughs> so i mean that leads to the question is, is uh, do you then broadly kind of feel that agencies don't know enough about the numbers and the data the data around not specifically your business but as, as a general kind of feeling that there needs to be a closer alignment from agencies into the data side of the, the various business whether it's macro or Without a doubt, I I don't think, I think that's our biggest gripe as Mm -hmm. marketers. Um, And I'll also say that having sat in the media industry, agencies don't know enough about how the media operates. So you're developing creative concept and campaign for things that aren't going to work. I mean, I think I was the most hated person as station manager of 5FM by agencies more than my DJs because agencies would sell clients ideas that we would then go, but we can't execute that Mm -hmm. or that's not possible for us. And then the client's now upset with the station because they were sold an idea that they invested in and they approved and the agency went ahead and 
created that idea without us being able to do it. So, yeah. so an agency would come, as an example, and go, oh, we, we want Nick Cameron and Mike to, you know, broadcast their show from the moon. And, you know, we, we're friends with Mike Shuttleworth, so we can make it happen. And you're like... Well, no, I'm not going to let Nick train for 48 hours every single week so that he can become an astronaut and go to the moon. And sure, how will the ISDN line work? And, you know, things like that. So I want to interject there then. I mean, it's something that we've been grappling with, you know, and I think we actually broadly touched on this on a, on a previous episode. But as an industry, media moved out of, out of agencies in the I don't know, early 80s. Mm. It's a time for media to come back with, you know, channels being so fragmented and, 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 and it becoming more complex. Do we, do we need to say at some point, hey, you know, media agency and, and, and creative agency, you guys need to form a collab and you need to work together day to day? I think that's a really interesting thought. It's, it's worth pursuing because when I think of my best agency scenarios, it has been when creative and media have gotten like an unbreakable bond and they support each other no matter what and they almost never separate so that might be that might be something that that could be relooked it's quite i mean if i'm thinking from an agency md perspective that's quite hard you know that's a lot of cost and a lot of people and it's it's quite a hard business to run because a full service one stop shop is is a lot of skill that you need in one place but from a client's perspective i think that would be amazing yeah, look, I think, I mean, if I look at how we work at the moment and we've got them separate, where it works is if people decide to just collaborate. So I think where I'm at is I'm not sure you have to put people in one agency to be able to get there. I actually think that's what should be happening, especially when you look at the fragmentation of media. But even more than that, if you look at where a lot of our spend is going, which is a digital media piece, what I'm struggling with with our traditional media agencies is some lack of detailed, deep understanding of really how to use digital media through the overall funnel that goes from awareness to actually getting us a bank account. I would then worry about putting media into a creative agency or, you know what I mean, it would, because I see just from a media agency perspective, some of the things that we're grappling with. I think more than anything else, it's about how do you get a group of people to actually deliver to the brief that you require, who might be in in different agencies, it sounds easy and it's not. It's actually fundamentally where I think mm. some people are great marketeers. They're able to get, you know, out of a different combination of people. So I wouldn't, yeah. That's 100% true. My worst, worst scenario was managing 14 agencies and feeling like I was the teacher in the crash, going, <laughs> okay, Johan, be nice to Nick. Nick, remember, you must tell Johan what you're doing. Okay, be nice. And you just feel like a parent. Mm. And that's terrible. It's, you're right. A really great marketer can create and facilitate collaboration. Yeah. Because ultimately, you are competing for, for the same piece of the pie, mm. you know, which is difficult. Which brings me to to a kind of different question. I mean, a lot of the kind of conversations that I've heard kind of more in the general chatter, you know, the the late night drink at the bar, Lurie's judging kind of stuff. And and also just in the researching of this podcast, there's, there's a lot of small startup agencies that don't get a seat at the table. Now, you guys have both, you know, represented fairly substantial brands over the years. And the agencies that you've worked with has been the traditional big players. The question that I think a lot of the audience wants to hear is, if you are a 15, 20-man shop, how do you get into the door? That's a horrible question because <laughs> the answer is horrendous, and I'll say it. This is mostly because of procurement. So in my big corporate jobs where there are lots of agencies involved and very big budgets, 
which is not all my jobs, just some of them. <laughs> um, this is related to what you can, what paperwork you can provide that's going to comply with a global head office's requirement of what agency you should, you're allowed to choose. And a small agency can often not secure that. They can't compete with that. Um, because there's not a massive global network of other suppliers and other support that you can get. There are going to be problems with triple BEE accreditation because they might only have 15 people in the company. There's, there's all sorts of challenges like that. That's a paperwork challenge a lot of the time. So I'm we're lucky. I mean, I'm lucky because ultimately what I always say to procurement is your job is to help me and my marketing teams become successful. So we've got a big you know, through the line agency, Joe Public, fantastic agency. But what we then did is we've actually onboarded three very, like, much smaller agencies that we've committed a certain amount of work that we're going to give. I think for me, it's because I also look at the role that NetBank plays in society as being quite important around really making an impact and changing people's lives, which is how we got to these three small agencies. And it was a not an easy discussion initially with Joe Public. They were like, but what are these guys going to be doing? Isn't that our business? And we, 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 But they then came to the party because, by the way, we're lucky that we work with an agency that has, from a purpose perspective, the same sort of thinking that we do. So then they understood it. So that's how we were able to get three like quite small agencies that we hope will grow in future. And they might even dump us for another bank because they're much bigger. And that's great because actually that's what I'd love to see. So we're fortunate that we don't have, we, I mean, ultimately NetBank head office is 135 Rivonia and on. You know what I mean? So we make those decisions. And funny enough, even when we're looking at, when we're pitching last year, and the whole thing about being in a big agency network was actually neither here or there. Like for me, it was like, nah, that's fine. Like if it is, that's great. If it's not, also fine. Yeah. I do also think there's a budget impact on small agencies because a lot of billing cycles, and it's very boring to mention, <laughs> but a lot of billing cycles mean that you're funding a lot of that work yourself for a period of time. And if you don't have a big bank account and a big structure behind you, which comes from maturity and size, yeah. then you're often not in that position. You're paying people every 30 days and we're you're inv- invoicing us 60 days and we're going to pay you after 120 sometimes. Yeah. But that's, that's why hardcore. I want to challenge yeah. marketeers. No, it is. Because it's, it's hectic. You can, actually. You just have to. That's why I say, like, for me, procurement, as long as it's in the realms of how we do work as a bank and, you know, the guidelines that we have as a bank, we've said we're going to come to the party because, you know, we complain that it's the same agencies over and over again, but we are using the same Mm. agencies over and over again. And for me, especially in, I I get it in in situations like Unilever, that was literally my problem. Like you've got this Mm. big, you know, agency, what else can you do? Maybe you're below the line agencies you can play with and all of that. But I think especially for marketeers who have a control of the type of agencies that they can work with and stuff, I, I would challenge them to say, how do we grow more homegrown, smaller South African agencies? And that's actually more fun when you've got a smaller budget because then you have more <laughs> choice and flexibility. So I often think to myself that I could do more with my 5FM marketing budget in a year because I could I could make so many more empowering decisions and use much smaller, more competitively priced agencies on smaller jobs and things like that. I could do more with that than what I would spend at, a, at one of my global brands in a week. I'd spend the annual budget that I used at five and I feel like I could do less. Corporate often. red tape. Yeah. Corporate red tape. No, and the reason I ask this question is, is that there's, there's been the rise of, of you know, a handful and, and it's sadly a handful, but of black-owned agencies mm-hmm. that have performed phenomenally well, and and kudos to them. 
but quite often for them to get a seat at the table because of size, because of exactly all those things that you've mentioned, you know, it's, it's much harder for them. And it's almost, it's almost a, a projection of society in a certain sense. Um, and, and it's interesting to know, like, you know, what, what do we do as a collective to, to improve? I mean, I work for a TBWA, which is probably one of the bigger ones, but we should all be doing something, right? Absolutely. And by the way, I mean, in addition to that, one of your challenges is I'm seeing a lot of and I'm sure you've seen a lot of consulting firms come into advertising. Mm. And, you know, we spoke about this whole thing of knowing my numbers, knowing my business. The thing about them, because they know how to sell and package and link it directly to a business result, when they come into advertising, they bring a very different mindset. Just absolutely feels like these are people who've gone into depth with the numbers. They understand your business. And I find that quite a risk for your traditional agencies. So I think you guys, especially when you think about, is this all about awards or is it about the business? When you've got people like that coming into the creative world, they're going to, I think, really rejig the space. And that's actually another podcast which we can come back (laughs) to. How data has affected media planning and creative work. The IAB Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. How to win. This podcast is brought to you by Mark One, who've been making sense of technology-driven digital marketing before most, offering the full suite of paid media services, including programmatic media buying, paid social, and search advertising. While paid media is at their core, they've evolved over the years, firstly establishing a fully-fledged digital creative unit, Mark One Labs, and then expanding their data and analytics offering to provide clients true insights into their audiences and campaigns. Check them out at markone.co.za. What's um, I think important as well is that I know both of you women have done things where there's been a higher purpose in projects that you've taken on. And we can acknowledge that when agencies do work, they want to also do impactful work. These are these kind of people. And Kenzie, I think about the recent NetBank campaign, which was educating people about thinking differently about their money and the root causes of the psychological relationship with money, a campaign that I was an influencer for. And Justine, mm-hmm. I think a lot to the YB5 stuff that was done in the Five Talks platform that was very much against the typical kind of you know cookie cutter way of getting content out. So I think it'd be worth asking you both when it comes to your higher purpose perceptions, how we get that relationship right as well between clients and, and marketing companies. So funny enough, I mean, the Secrets campaign, one, I think like I said initially, for me an objective is not always going to be like we want to sell bank accounts. Um, we'll have so, for example, our market share amongst young people um, is not that great, and a lot of it is around the brand perception. So, of course, sometimes we're going to have to do work that says, how do we change the bank's perception about amongst young people? So, this one was absolutely linked to our purpose, which is around how do we get South Africans to open up and really talk about money. And it was a pretty open brief. And when you got an agency that you work with as a partner, the way we do with our agency. They actually knew that we didn't brief brief. They knew that we needed to do this campaign. It was like the brand engagement campaign. And the first time they came to present it was the funniest thing. I almost feel like they, they what do you call it? No, not blackmail. They said to me, you know, brave CMOs would be happy with this work. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, I get you guys. But um, because they knew... It's gaslighting. Yeah, gaslighting. Yeah. <laughs> because Nasty. they knew what we're trying to do with the brand, and that's about knowing your business and your objectives and what you're trying to do, they actually came with an idea that, I mean, I, I was incredibly nervous. I had massive butterflies. But it was so right because they knew exactly what our challenges that we were facing and what we're trying to do as a brand. 
So for me, just because I'm looking to sell bank accounts and all of that doesn't mean that, you know, in the in, in the context of what's our purpose as a brand that I'm not going to talk about it. I, I, I want to and I have to because it's how we continue to connect um, with consumers. So I, I've kind of got two points that I can share on that. So firstly, I think that most big businesses acknowledge that purpose has to be central for you to be profitable in the future. So these are not separate things anymore. These are fundamental. I'm I'm working with a really amazing tech company at the moment who build last mile solutions for people who are in the most rural parts of Africa. So farmers and healthcare workers who have the simplest of phones and have no money for data and they literally only build stuff that they feel is going to benefit people like that and they turn down business. Um, that might be very lucrative if it doesn't fulfill those those objectives. But that's the privilege of a tech startup like Mezzanine, who's, who's really cool, and then got bought by Vodacom, who are now a nice big bank account for them, and they just make fantastic work, and they, they do incredible stuff. They have two solutions on the top 25 companies that change the world list wow. with Fortune magazine. So, What is it? Mezzanine? Mezzanine, yeah. I'll send you a link. It's yeah. really cool. They do amazing stuff. I mean, I, I actually cry when I like watch some of the videos. It's so impactful. However, for, for big traditional corporates, there is definitely Definitely a serious and invested acknowledgement that purpose is going to deliver profit. So if you're not trying to solve societal challenges, which is what we all love to do creative work about, then you're not actually delivering any long-term sustainability mm. in the numbers of your business. And we can see that in some amazing creative work that's been done recently, like uh, the Gillette Gogo Nozizwe mm. campaign. I mean, that was just such a profound insight that happened, that this campaign actually told a story about how this product belongs intrinsically in someone's life. And it was it, it felt completely effortless. You know, mm. it was a fantastic way to communicate a brand story. So that's the first perspective. The second perspective is that purpose in itself is actually what we are doing every day. You know, if we if we're coming to work to drive the business's objectives and those objectives are linked to creating jobs for people, creating banking products and educating people about their finances more successfully, building last mile solutions and applications that help healthcare workers monitor primary health care among children, you know, all those things that our businesses are doing. All businesses have purpose, otherwise they wouldn't really exist. So the communication of those purpose qualities and objectives in our briefing and in the development of our creative work is essential. A business really wouldn't survive if it didn't have a purpose. If profit just wouldn't last that long, we'd run out. Although like, and I think maybe it goes to, it's it's easier to communicate products, right? Like I can tell you that it's a bank account for five rand. That's much easier. But if I link it to the context of our purpose, it actually starts to connect it. And that's actually where marketers and agencies sometimes, so I'm absolutely with you. Like for us, I'm like the brand and our business is quite a symbiotic thing, actually. Um, so if when we talk about our unlocked account, which is for young people and part of the unlocked account offering is, you know, giving you access to how to write your CVs, your yes, it's a bank account. But we understand that young people are looking for opportunities. So we created in the context of that bank account. How do we help young people achieve those opportunities? By the time you market it, it's actually a much more interesting way to talk about a bank account versus this is mm. five rand. Yeah. yeah so whilst I think most businesses or all businesses of purposes, I think we like to we end up at the lowest common denominator of let's talk about the five rand account versus actually I think there's something much more powerful. Um, and when you do that, you'll actually be more successful as a business. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it's the product ultimately should be a tool in their lives. Exactly. Um, and and that, that really is powerful. 
Um, so, which begs the question then, so when, you know, a little art director and a copywriter who are fresh out of college and they've just had this amazing idea, you know, they skip up to your office and they hold up this layout, um, you know, what could they actually be doing to better sell their work? I feel like quite often we go in there and we, you know, we, we have this vision for this concept that we've, you know, been brainstorming over for weeks and we arrive there and within 30 minutes you're out the door and, and you know, you tear that one up or you save it for, you know, when the client goes away and you've got the new one and you're going to repitch it. But, you know, agency generally, when they walk into a presentation, believe they're selling something that matters. Um, quite often the clients don't agree. What could agencies do better? And, and what have you seen in your kind of past careers that would allow us to better sell in our work or better inform you to buy what we believe we are selling? I don't think it'll surprise you, obviously, that it is linked to, you know, what we're trying to achieve as a business. So yeah. that won't surprise you, right? But what I've found over time in marketing and in agencies, actually, is that we've lost the art of creative strategies or calm strategies, where before you even get to the creative, your heart is already pumping because you're like, the space is so beautiful. Um, and I've seen it less and less with agencies where you just go straight from, I want to sell bank account. Here's the idea. And it's like, okay, wait, like, how do you show a big, a big understanding of the macro environment, the consumer, the, the, so by the time you get to the idea, I'm sold actually, because not only have you answered my brand and business objective, you've actually told me exactly why you think this will work because of this consumer context, because of this South African context. So I find a lot of things go straight from, like we just get shown a creative idea and it's like, wow, that's cold, you know? Mm. Um, so the art <laughs> of just like a really good comms and creative strategy, I find we've actually lost that um, in a lot of agencies that I've worked with. So I, I like uh, a sense of empathy. I need to feel like you really understand what my challenge is and you're going to help me fix this because as a marketer in a business, often it's you against the business. Finance doesn't like you because you spend money. Your bosses think you must fix everything. If there's no toilet paper in the bathroom, people come to marketing. <laughs> so my agency has to be my number one partner to help me fix things. And that level of empathy is deep. It needs to be in every presentation I see, I must feel like you truly are trying to achieve something that's going to make my life easier in this business because I'm the one that has to pick up your strategy and clout everyone out to win so we can do it. It doesn't normally end with one person, particularly if you have a large organization with a lot of marketers. You've got a gate process, you've got an approval process, you've got many other people, and I have to be strong enough in my belief that that partnership is so rock solid that I'm not going to look like an idiot if I run around my building trying to win this battle so we can do it and it's definitely going to work so that's the first thing is empathy the second thing is if I feel like this work is for your own edification and enjoyment <laughs> and all you want is an award out of it it just rubs me up the wrong way and I I think I've worked with most agencies in South Africa now and I have a pretty good reputation but I know that every single person I've worked with will say that I'm tough, I'm pretty hardcore, I run a tight ship and I take that as a compliment because I'm not going to let people get away with stuff. If I feel like like you don't get why we're here and why we're doing this and this is so that you can use my budget to win your awards and get drunk on your lurry weekend when I'm trying to get something out of you and you're not in the office for two weeks, then like I'm not cool with that. That's, that's not going to happen. 
Shame you had to go to Cannes while we were all here in the office, but like we need that stuff to happen. I, I've got two questions, but I'll, I'll keep the second one because the first one's a little bit more serious. Um, I, I've always had the, been of the opinion rather that agencies are like, especially when it comes to the creative, it's, it's like bad one night stands. You know, we come in all hot and flirty in the beginning, you know. The work gets produced and all of a sudden we're ghosting. You know, we've double blue ticked you until the next brief comes in and then we all flirt here again. Um, and, and something that, that, you know, from an awards perspective, I think we do really well is we package the work after the fact mm. to go, look, this is what we have done. And I, I'm, I'm floating this idea because, I mean, it's just something that I'm toying with. But surely what we should also include in our campaign is whether or not it's going to be a Cannes Grand Prix or just a nice little tidy piece of effective work, we should empower the agency to go, actually, here's 50,000 rand. Please package this in a way that I can take back to my organization as a proof point of what we have done in the same way you would have done for a can campaign. And if it is a campaign, you could, or then it means you've already paid for the video and you can just go and happily enter it. Hmm. I Does usually that build that yeah. into my budgets for big campaigns, like a post-campaign sizzle reel or a big review of some kind. Um, I work definitely at Coca-Cola. I work like that a lot because selling the internal dream and internal stakeholder management is like a big portion of that job. So I would always build that in at the beginning. Um, and I think that's also linked to the movement I see with a lot of agencies purchasing in-house production studios and edit so that they can make a lot of that type of work that packages that work successfully. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I mean, we don't we don't do that at all. Like I'm in two minds about it. Like there's a part of me that's saying, why are you packaging it for him? I see the results, right? Like so there's a part of me that's that saying that. But maybe like where I agree is, and when you talk about empathy, so the way I would, whenever we sell big ideas in the bank, we actually always have the agency with us as our partner. So they actually go and sit in front of the exco with me to say, this is the type of work that we want to do. Is it necessary? It's packaged the way they would have sold it. I mean, I'll obviously now have a lot more to say in terms of how it shows up in front of the exco because I know yeah. the people there and what they're looking for and stuff. Um, we always do a post campaign review, but it's not necessarily, and maybe it's something to think about for myself. It's not necessarily to say we did great work, you know what I mean? Because I always feel like, well, that should be in the results themselves. But it is something, you know, to think about. We, I've. Yeah, I would struggle because it would depend on the budget. I'd be like, yo, you want to spend 50 grand on what? Like, you know, so I'd have all these problems in my head. Like, But I think, I mean, that's a challenge for me. Yeah, I mean, I've I've worked on, on kind of big organizational stuff. So at, at the moment, and I'll be open, like, you know, we, we work on a big telco. And there's a lot of stakeholders in the, in, in the marketing department. And sometimes you have a junior client who, you know, in his or her capacity has done something really amazing. But then, you know, not armed with the the toolkit after the fact to go and say actually you know up the ladder look what cool stuff is possible if mm -hmm. you do the right thing I, i'm just floating it's an idea. interesting thought and so i'm saying i think i'm feeling challenged about it because i'm sure there's a lot of stuff a lot of i mean we've got a big budget so there's a lot of stuff that's happening that i don't even know about um so it'd be great and maybe it's about how do we create a system within the bank that actually allows like younger marketeers to be able to showcase the type of work that they're doing yeah. And then I think just as a sort of closing point, something that I'd like to know from both of you, if we look at awards and um, just things that have been submitted as campaigns of the last couple of years, what sticks out for you is your favorite. It didn't have to have won. Um, and it doesn't also have to be from an agency or, or, or the, a company that you were working for, but I imagine it might be. 
Yeah, work, work. I'll stick to work that's not my work because mm-hmm. that's a bit more PC, I guess. Um, so there's two campaigns that I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years. The first is the Kalula Travel Hater campaign. <laughs> I just think that it, the way that they led that campaign as fire starters was so intelligent. It really caused a ruckus. Um, and then, of course, their online video content was just spectacular. It was really high quality, well put together. Um, and I think it's a brave client who can allow people to take a slightly negative tone. You know, normally in a brief, you're saying to people, we must be positive and upbeat. I want smiling people. I want happiness. I want joy. Everyone must have my product. Whereas there, they allowed people to lead with bad feelings and negative tone in order to sort of reflect and throw a light board onto what they did as a campaign. That's the first one. The second one that I really like is the Cadbury's birthday re-gift campaign. Mm. Very, very, very cool idea. And that whole office style of shooting really appeals to me because you can do that fairly affordably. You don't have to fly the crew to Mauritius to do, you know, cloud replacement and you know complex expensive stuff like that they had a tiny little budget for that campaign and they did an amazing job of trying to facilitate the sense of joy which is which is their territory that they own as Cadbury and and making that at home particularly in a South African context and the way they executed it was so much something that everyone could associate with that feeling of like getting a present and now I have to give it back like what do do you mean you know we all have received something in our lives and then imagine now someone says to you you must give it back I thought that was a very human insight that didn't rely on a particular group or niche or segment of people to try and understand it so I'd say one of my favorites at the Luris probably about three years ago was actually from Lebanon and it was on their their lotto whatever their lotto there is Mm -hmm. called where, and I love campaigns that are based on a real consumer insight because I think that's where you really create something magical. So the whole I think the whole thing was, obviously people think black cats are bad luck. So they ran this entire campaign saying we've removed all the black cats from Lebanon and sent them to Japan. <laughs> where they think black cats are good luck. good luck. And the whole thing was about so that people would think bloody hell we can play the lotto this weekend because there's no black cats. And I just for me I love the real insight. I love. I mean, it got so much publicity, you know, and all of that. And when they looked at the numbers in terms of how it actually performed from a Lotto sales perspective, it did really well. To the extent where, I mean, once I was talking to the CEO of Lotto, and I was like, don't tell me about I'm going to buy a house when I get a Lotto. I get that, right? But like, go to something much more deeper, which is what I loved about that campaign. And then I think from a South African perspective, sure, there's so many. I actually think, I mean, we do like really decent work, to be honest. But maybe one of my favorites, just as a personal, was the Nando's Write My Name campaign. And funnily enough, the way... Oh, we did Coke, share a Coke, say my name. (laughs) (laughs) The way I interacted with it was funny because I missed it until I was reading a newspaper and I saw all these red things and I was like the hell is going on so i said to a friend of mine i don't know what the hell went on with the sunday like newspaper for me that's also quite powerful right and also based on an like quite a really good consumer insight around well my name's my name and it's important why does it have a red thing under it and stuff so i that for me was actually also one of my favorite and not big to be honest if i look at it wasn't big tv big and actually the way they used media they had to be very creative about how they used media which i found very powerful Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you both to you women for coming and speaking to us in the interest of transparency in the industry. I think more things like this need to happen so as the different stakeholders can communicate better with each other. So, Justine and Kinsani, thank you very much. Thanks for having us, guys. (laughs) 
Today's podcast was brought to you by Mark One. Mark One has been making sense of technology-driven digital marketing before most, offering the full suite of paid media services, including programmatic media buying, paid social, and search advertising. And as they've spent over a decade in digital, they've become experts in ad tech and also offer strategic and technology consulting solutions to businesses where they help audit and deploy the most cutting-edge ad tech and martech tools available globally. Hi, I'm Paula Halley, CEO of the Interactive Advertising Bureau South Africa, and this is the IABSA podcast, where we share smart, actionable, and motivating insights from today's foremost digital leaders to help you make better digital decisions through our connected culture and access to experts and expertise, both from across our local network of over 150 member companies, including agencies, brands, publishers, education, and technical specialists as well as our IAB Global Network in 47 countries around the world. We hope the conversations and stories you hear help you build best business practice and transform your digital marketing. In our first series, we are speaking about benchmarking digital excellence. Our launch episode looks at insights on how to win in digital, starting off with our very own Bookmark Awards as the benchmark for digital excellence.